Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Must See Matches. I am, of course, Kieran Lefort, and with me, as always, the maestro of Must See Matches, Mark Buckledy. Mark, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. I think that's what I always say on this. Yeah, yeah, you should have some prepared responses. Uh, this week, we are talking about uh, Jaguar Yokota versus La Galactica for the UWA Women's World Title on February the 27th, 1985. And... After doing such a sterling job steering the ship with two useless crewmates last time, we've invited our guest captain back, bringing her vast wealth of Joshua knowledge again, representing the Big Egg podcasting universe, which is quite a lot to say. It's Sarah Parkin. Sarah, how are you doing? I owe me hearties. <laughs> I deleted an ahoy matey from that intro before because I felt oh, I can't do that. <laughs> No, you did. You did the pirate. You set it up. I knocked it out. I knocked it out the park. Personally, is what I think. Although I'm starting to mix my baseball metaphors with my pirate metaphors. Yeah, now. playing playing baseball on a ship is difficult. <laughs> there's at least there's at least one baseball team I think called the Pirates or the Buccaneers or some such. Uh, Pittsburgh Pirates, I think, are a baseball team. I could be wrong. So this is the first and I think only appearance of Jaguar Yokota and La Galactica on this list on the 104. Anyway, Yokota only got two nominations on the list actually okay um which is quite surprising and this is the only one that made the cut for the podcast yes uh and la galactica is uh somebody i'd frankly never heard of until i had to research this match so neither of them are people we're familiar with uh so sarah do you have any kind of like background on these two and their issues going into this match I do, yeah. So I, I would say don't don't worry about the fact that you weren't really aware of La Galactica before this, because actually, if you were to, I mean, if you were to search for La Galactica online now, pretty much the first thing that would come up is her being notable for this feud with Jaguar Yukata. So this is by far kind of, this is certainly in terms of sort of international appeal, this is kind of her peak, because she is someone who then goes and has them under a couple of different ring names, actually. Um, La Galactica is not her best known one, um, but basically she is a she has a long and storied career in Mexico, actually. Um, so this is um, so this the, the match that we're talking about here is kind of part of an ongoing relationship between um, essentially between AJW All Japan Women's Wrestling um, and their kind of relationship with predominantly at the time UWA, which was a promotion in Mexico, um, wasn't the only promotion to which they sent um, to which they sent wrestlers. But for a while um, in the 90s, you know, if anybody remembers um, Bull Nakano versus Alundra Blaze from SummerSlam 1994 and all of that kind of thing, there's a period there where there's a working relationship where mm. AJW is sending people to WWF and WCW, you know, they're sending them to, to the US. Um, there's a period in the 80s and sort of really up to the very early 90s um, where the majority of the relationships are actually going backwards and forwards with Mexico. Um, so Jaguar Yokota is the more certainly the more established in, in Japan of these two. Um, but if you um, to give you an idea of her significance, I mean, cast your mind back weeks and weeks ago to the last time that I was here when, mm -hmm. you know, very, it feels like ages ago that we were talking about this now, I'm sure, but thinking about kind of the peak of the peak of Joshi in kind of the mid 80s and thinking about it through the prism of popular culture and thinking about the Crush Gals, that's, mm -hmm. that's great. They are absolutely, in terms of their cultural influence, they are the top of the tree. When they're fighting, they're fighting over the Crush Gals as a unit are fighting over the tag titles. They're not actually 
number one on the call sheet for this promotion. Jackie Weekota is. The the idea that I think a lot of people recognize from Japanese wrestling now of the ace and like the true top, you know, the true top dog in the promotion. Mm-hmm. Um, Jackie Weekota is is where for me at least, this is where the concept is actually perfected of the ace in Joshi. Um, and actually you'll see a lot of aces right down to people like um, Takumi Roha and people like that who's in Marvelous and, and in other Japanese promotions now. There's a lot in terms of the way that they carry themselves and the way that they're established, which actually ultimately comes back from her. Um, she is, um, at this point, she has been champion for quite some time. Um, so to give you um, to, to give you an idea, there's pretty much three years where Jag, where Jag is undisputedly the champion and she is she's booked incredibly strongly like mm-hmm. there was none of this pinning the champion to earn a match to, to, to earn a match at that point or it was far less common mm. anyway you know you might pin them in a tag match but ultimately she held this um she held this title very strongly for the majority so she actually won her first title in 1981 um if you remember me briefly mentioning um the beauty pair from who were kind of like the 70s they were kind of the they, they were kind of the foreigners of the crush girls but jackie sato who was one of them um also had her time with the singles title um and Jackie Ikota defeated Jackie Sato in 1981 to win the, the top title in the company for the first time. Um, Jackie Sato was actually um, injured and that was really difficult. Um, but she was then the champion pretty much solidly for three years between 1983 and 1985 and that whole period, um, <laughs> apart from one period where, frankly, people must have thought the sky was falling, where she got into a feud with La Galactica. Um, so I mentioned that um, La Galactica has this really long career under different names. So Panten- um, Pantera Serenia is one of the names that she comes under in Japan, as, in Mexico as well. Um, she's one of the ones where if you look her up on her cage match listing, there's like four different names after it or something like that. Because she appears a lot. Yeah, so this particular UWA Women's World title, uh, Jaguar won it from La Galactica as Pantera Serenia in September 84 in Mexico. I think. Yeah, and it is very difficult to keep track. I will say that yes. now. Like, this match is an on-cage to... match. <laughs> yeah, no, that was. I was really confused by that because I was yeah. trying to sort of. I was sort of trying to when I was reading up uh, in advance of this. I was sort of trying to trace like which belts they'd each had at different points. Mm. I mean, the relationship with UWA was such that eventually, when UWA folded, most of their women's titles made their way into AJW. So that, similar that, to how a lot of their men's titles ended up in Toriumon, I think, at the time. Yeah, 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 exactly. Because they were the ones that they were running like co-promoted shows with. Yeah. You know, back when all the companies were still in business. So there's a match on um on Big Egg Wrestling Universe, which is, you know, one of my one of my other side gigs, um, where they um which is actually for the UWA women's tag team championships. Um, so mm. in ninety so by the time you get to nineteen ninety four, people are wrestling for these belts, but the company doesn't exist anymore. Um so you'll see those kind of relationships all the time. So I think the I think Paul Nakano was the first Reina Duranas um, women's champion in AAA. I might be getting confused, but she is definitely. But you know, she is absolutely one of those. She has a place in the Hall of Fame of Mexican women's wrestling as much as anything else as well. Um, but this is. I think really what that means is putting this relationship between Yukota and La Galactica is it's not just about kind of their relationship with each other, although I think, you know, we'll see what the chemistry is like between them. But it is it is kind of putting your top names from these two promotions that are working really closely together. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the idea of people going on excursion, I think, is not, you know, is, is still understood, I think, in Japanese wrestling today. But Mexico was where a lot of people went on their excursions from AJW and then came back. And then people would come on excursions and come on tours from Mexico, you know, do their tours in, in AJW and come back. Mm. But La Galactica is a very big deal. Um, so they're in... I've never really gotten to the bottom of, and again, this might be the language barrier, it might be that I don't speak Japanese, whether there's a personal side to this beef or not, whether it came from something personal or whether they decided they didn't like each other because they were wrestling each other. I found um, a listing for a hair versus mask match in 1983 uh, yes. where Galactica took uh, Yokota's hair. And I found a listing for another match after that in '83, but like, like records for this uh, seem quite sparse, like to to the the Western speaking and reading world. Yeah, it I seems think, like they've not problem. liked each other for quite a long time. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, you know, part of that is a is a trick of well, you know, we have to, you know, we have to make this match happen because this is where the money is, and also all the other names are going to be tied up with wrestling other people. You know, mm. there's very much an element of that, um, but. I think part of the reason why you book these two together is the fact that they work really well together. And I think going back to when we talked about the kind of the, the dump versus Chigasa match um, back, back then, we were talking about that kind of like the physical mismatch and how that helps with the storytelling of the match mm. as well. You see, there's something kind of like Galactica is is not, you know, she's not built like, like dump and she's not really on that level, but she does still have that kind of, she's got, physical she has physical attributes that jaguar doesn't and that she can then use and say okay yeah okay she's got the weight advantage she can throw her yeah, around she might yeah. be difficult to get but, it, but, but it's no. but not by much like they're roughly the same height uh they're yeah. roughly the same build i would say galactic is but is like a little bit heavier uh and plays rougher which is like way which makes her makes her the heel yeah. Uh, yeah, she certainly does play rougher and they've definitely had um so by the time we see, you know, the match we're having now is we're a long way from hair versus mask and we're not actually really, you know, so it's there have probably been like angrier and more heated chapters in this story along the way. But <laughs> in the same way that, you know, later on, Bull Nakano and Alundra Blaze would end up having a feud that would last for many years over multiple promotions and, you know, would take place in places all over the world with varying degrees of success, depending on who was producing the match later on. We mm. don't talk about Hogwild. Um, but, you know, <laughs> there's kind of similar things happening in, um, the, the, there's kind of similar things happening here where a match works, you're going to make the most of that relationship, mm. you're going to make the most of that feud. So it has carried on for quite a long time. And mm. like Galactic is a heat magnet in Japan. So it seems. Oh, yeah. With a name like La Galactica, you'd expect a pretty snazzy futuristic costume, right? No. This is a Mexican woman in a regular speed suit, complete with a Speedo logo and a silver mask with some stars on it. She, I have to say, she did not make the greatest visual first impression <laughs> when she came out for this match. I was expecting something more, let's say, in the presentation. <laughs> This is kind of how, certainly in Japan, though, this is kind of how women's wrestling was for mm. a very long time. It was really, um, it was, I mean, there's still this kind of idea where when you come in as a rookie, you're still basically wearing a swimsuit in yeah. most promotions. And gradually, as you kind of move up the tree and become more senior, you kind of, you grow into your, you grow into your costume as mm. you kind of grow into your character. It was that happened relatively late on i think in these you know in in, in these promotions so doug matsumoto in 1985 is very well established but she's been around for a long time mm. and she's basically she's earned the gimmick yeah um, but whereas, she's still wearing a swimsuit for the match 
Like yeah, you, yeah, like, absolutely. you've got to get to you've got to get to the nineties where you've got Manami Toyota doing topes with feathers flying off her shoulders and uh you know the, the judging post in the middle actually is when competition starts to re-enter the market because you have um towards the, the end of the eighties you've had um I mentioned very briefly last time I was mm. here um, that Jackie Sato had eventually then gone off and set up um, JWP mm-hmm. um, and she had then gone and, and the, the offshoots from that, there was eventually a split there and it led to, um, and that led to the birth of LLPW as well, which was mm. um, another women's promotion. Um, Shinobu Kandori, if you know her, she turns yep. up, she, you know, she's the one who breaks away from Jackie Sato and starts LLPW. Mm-hmm. They were the they were the people who actually really started leaning into giving people better costumes because one of the splits that happens between sort of Jackie Sato's followers and Shinobu Kandori's followers that leads to the split in those companies is the split between who are the wrestlers, quote unquote, and who are the entertainers. Where okay. have you heard this before? Yes. Um, so they very much they start leaning into the glitz and the glamour of it. And then later on, AJW realizes that they have to keep with the times to make up to make up some of that mm-hmm. spectacle. So the classic Joshi swimsuit is pretty much de rigueur at this point. And yeah. people really have to kind of earn their place to kind of come up, you know, go above that mm-hmm. as well. So it's, you know, in, in 1985, I think people were people hadn't quite dreamed of the kind of thing that Akira Hokuto was going to be wearing in 1993. No, no. Uh, it sort of puts me in mind of how I had a friend at school who liked watching the WWF, uh, partly because of like all the all the like spectacular costumes or relatively spectacular costumes they would wear, uh, as compared to WCW, who he called underpants men, because everybody just wore trunks and boots. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically the, that is basically the difference. And it is that kind of, so even now we think of, um, well, I suppose you think of your, your young lion, the, the, the young lion exactly in New that. Japan who only, who only wears the black pants because you haven't earned anything else. They have to earn their knee pads. Yes. You know? Yeah. Anyway, uh, visuals aside, and we've established that basically they just hate each other and have done for some time. <laughs> Yes. Uh, we come to February 27th, 1985. Um, oh, incidentally, so we've got La Galactica. Around the same time, there was a masked British wrestler called Battlestar, and I really wish someone had introduced them. Oh, that could have been such a good crossover. You have been invited to the wedding of Battlestar Galactica. That's amazing. <laughs> Would have loved that. Um, I did enjoy the uh, funny delivery that the ring announcer had. I noticed that he had this really sort of, I don't know, odd, languid voice. <laughs> so uh, the streamers get thrown for, thrown for Galactica's announcement. And at the same time, which you almost don't see, one of her mm. cronies at ringside throws a pair of nunchucks and she catches them and immediately goes to work on Jaguar with them. So you're left like no context. First time watching, this is definitely the heel. Yeah, absolutely. And Jagger decides she's not having any of this. Disarms her and starts tearing at the mask. So we we have understood that we have a heel and we ha- also have a baby face who is not going to stand for this shit. She is not mm-hmm. going to be a pushover. And that speaks to the history that they have because yeah. it's very clear. You know, it's that classic. I've got a scouted. Don't give her the chance. Crack on. You know. Oh yeah, she's on. probably she's probably done this before. Yes. And like, while she might be caught by surprise for a couple of hits, like this is not going to be the whole match. Um, they, the match sort of goes back and forward between wildly fighting all over the place and putting each other in holds. It's like it's a, it's, it's a match of two halves, you might, you might say, uh, but those halves sort of intermingle quite a lot. A match of two styles, perhaps. Um, 
It's interesting, isn't it? Because when you compare something like this, you know, which does, it still has some of that kind of chaotic brawling energy mm. that we sort of recognise from the Chigusinagaya match. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I think I said um, back then is that um, Dump Matsumoto almost gets to set the terms of the match and she drags Chigusa down to, to her yes. level into that mm. kind of wildness and that brawling. Jaguar Yukota is in this position at the top of the tree in AJW because she is one of the best technical wrestlers on the planet, mm. pretty much. So you're actually getting a bit of both of those styles and you're getting the bit that, you know, La Galactica, the heels are the brawlers, you know, the technical yeah. wrestlers are always the faces. <laughs> so you actually, this feels like it's a bit more of a, there's a bit more of a push and pull rather than having one side dominate. And that probably speaks to the fact that, you know, they are both, there's a, there, there may well be an element of politics. I mean, shock horror about political booking, but there probably yeah. is an element <laughs> that you might, that, you know, two of your top people in these two promotions might have to make sure that each of them gets a time to shine. Mm. Japan, the 1980s, politics and questionable finishes. Who would have thunk it? <laughs> I made that point. I made that point at the very end of my notes, actually. <laughs> the bit with the Galactica, as you say, she's clearly established as a heel. And my God, she's such a niggly little heel. She just like elbows to the nose, biting the hands, chopping the throat. She's... Yeah. There's clearly bad blood on both sides. Yeah. But as you say, it's very clear she's a heel and this is very... Like the the Matsumoto Nadai match, it's a very clear heel versus face match and Mm. it does a very good job of establishing that at the jump. Yeah, Matsumoto is the large brawler who uses her size to her advantage, whereas Galactica is more of that irritating little scrapper who just sort of like she's what she's one of those heels where like she's probably a really good wrestler, but she just can't help herself to cheat. Like she just likes fighting dirty. Mm, absolutely. Like because she knows that will get her the upper hand. And the way Jaguar, for the most part, fights back against that is by stopping her momentum and putting her in holds to basically just hold her still and to like to stop her getting. And there's points actually where, where Galactica is in holds and she's still just like going for the eyes. And um, mm. and later on, once uh, Jaguar's arm gets cut, like poking her finger in the cut to escape from holds. Um, and when that fails, like one of her goons at ringside just runs in and like pushes over an octopus hole to get her I, out of it. I don't think I can remember a match where the seconds are sewing like the seconds are everywhere in this match. Yes, yes. What also so what also doesn't help that is that um, AJW at this point appears to have a hard cam for every side of the ring, and so uh, like. Lioness Asuka, oh, I noticed, was out there, like in uh, in Jaguar's corner. Um, sorry, my brain just fried. Then talking about two big cats, <laughs> the lioness is looking out for the Jaguar. Um, Wrestling safari. Yes, uh, and she would be like outside, having a bit of argy bargy with one of Galactica's seconds, like say with their backs to the camera, and then it would switch angle, and they'd suddenly have teleported to the other side of the ring. And I think that that adds part of like. It's what you're saying, Mark, of like the seconds seem to be everywhere all at once um, and mm. frequently just in the ring. Um, yeah, they're having almost this as much... This is not re- strict officiating. No. Uh, I, something I've noticed uh, of the two AJW matches we've done so far, in, in 1985, the referees play very fast and loose with the rules. 
again, I am I am happy to recommend you some technical masterclasses, which may even include some of the same people if it comes to it. <laughs> you know, I promise it's not all like this, but we have, but maybe part of what makes a match must see, and I don't know who it was that you who it was that actually got involved and declared these matches more must see than the less bloody ones. But it does say a lot about the audience, doesn't it, really, that they went for the two like really violent blood fests. We have had like such a run of blood. So there's this one, there was the the Chigasa Nagoya match. Uh, Umaga versus John Cena had blood all over it. Eddie Guerrero oh, yeah. versus JBL had blood all over it. Uh, like we can't get away from Clara and Plasma on this show i'm really hoping for a match where somebody just puts on a wrist lock at some point in the next six months that would be great <laughs> i have to say going you know I, I think this one has something quite special for it in terms of how it plays with blood and it goes back to mm. i think your point about um your point about like galactica being someone who can probably wrestle really well but can't help herself i think it's actually that she actively enjoys inflicting pain in the way that she does she is mm. a sadist and yeah. i think part of the reason why she enjoys the brawl i mean okay can we just talk about her licking up the blood can we just talk about her licking at the blood yes so oh. uh, like uh jaguar Kota gets tied to the top ropes and has her arm cut open i think you can see the point where one of the seconds just reaches in with a sneaky blade um and but from that point like, the business come on yeah like galactica like she keeps getting her fingers in the cut she's biting it as you said like she's like licking the blood off her hands which is never not disgusting it's not just the licking the blood it's the fact that by the end of the match half of Galactica's mask is red and it's all around her mouth yes and it's not come from her I think part part of the the thing with the blood as well I think there's a it has quite a special place i think in japan at this point as well is that i think for a lot of us when we think about these sort of looking up blood spots and things like that people might think of like john moxley and eddie kingston sort of Mm. thinking about the kind of matches that that's fed into sort of recently but i mean it's something where if we go back to the very early days of of sort of the the peak in sort of the, the world of men's Japanese wrestling. If we talk about people like um, Ricky Dozan um, and eventually, um, you know, Antonio Inoki, who had that fight with Muhammad Ali, came along a little bit later. But Ricky Dozan was the first like absolute superstar who basically carried um, Puro in Japan on his back for quite a long time. Um, and of the kind of, it was always the same. He was like the national hero defending them against the sort of the foreign heels as well. But it's people like, Freddie Blassie, who comes over and has it tours and feuds with him, and it's people mm. like Destroyer. Mm. And um, I, I might be making this up, but I'm pretty certain that what it was Freddie Blassie in particular, where one of his one of his things was that he would almost kind of channel this vampire, and he would get in yes, there. Yes, he was he was the vampire Freddie Blassie, yeah. Yeah, and he was really and he was really in there with the like he was one of the first people in Japan who really sort of terrified people with blood. And mm. I do think you know although we're talking about an overwhelmingly sort of younger and female audience, you know, it's a, that's something that has kept coming up as a trope in, mm. in Japanese wrestling at this point. And if you start playing with, playing with the blood in that way, and you then start being like, Oh, I enjoy the taste of blood. You're bringing back all of those memories of like the classic mm. and the most terrifying heels from your kind of national past as well. So it, it, it's, it's the stuff all of these girls, dads watched all of the girls, the young yes. girls in the audience. Yes. It's the stuff all of their fathers watched. 
Um, the other thing about the blood in this match is that it's an arm cut. We're so used to like forehead blood in wrestling because that's that's traditionally where it from where it will spurt. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's like uh, uh, like an arm an arm cut or anywhere anywhere other than the head is is much more uh, much more rare and much more believable, I think, as well. I think so. Count on one hand the number of times I cut my head, mm. but you know, like I can't count the number of times I cut my finger, for example. It's much more. It's, it's a bit. I think it's slightly more relatable in that way. I'm the exact opposite. Oh, really? You gaff your head all the time. Do you, do you blade as part of your job? No, I, I constantly bleed from the hands. Now I somehow managed to cut my leg just sitting down uh, last month. <laughs> I so, somehow a biro <laughs> broke in my pocket, and the shard actually left uh, a scar oh. that's about half an inch long i do not know how i did this please just stay still and don't move (laughs) all you need to do for this show is talk (laughs) please don't hurt yourself please and check your pockets for byros immediately (laughs) um so uh jesus where do we go from that uh where where do you go from an angry mexican masked woman licking up the blood of her opponent Yes, to a to a podcaster slicing his leg open on a on a pen. Um, well, so uh, Galactica, she kind of makes she makes this arm her target, obviously, and like she does. It's not like she just works on the elbow. She does everything from slamming the shoulder before and after the blood into the ring post over and over uh, to arm locks to biting. Like she's constantly biting the fingers mm-hmm. uh, of Yakota. Uh, Jaguar kind of gets a, like a, a shred of hope by busting out some flying stuff. So she like does a, a hurricane runner and some flying hip attacks. Uh, and then she's up on the top rope for something. And one of the heels from ringside just hops up on the apron and shoves her off. Uh, and then Galactic gets her nunchucks out again. <laughs> it is. I, I feel like, and, and this is not intending to be very to, to be kind of stereotypical about, you know, ooh, girls are squeamish or anything like that, which I think, frankly, think we're all a bit beyond. But mm. it's this idea that like young women in particular and, you know, in, in the 80s who maybe hadn't been exposed to this level of violence in other types of media or anything either, because mm. it might not. It's probably not the kind of films that they're getting to see, but they're getting away with mm. they're getting away with going to see the horror show if it's in the context yes. of wrestling. So I think it is more shocking to, to them, I think, probably more shocking than it is to to audiences now but oh, I do absolutely, think that, yeah. know, this is this is like this is pretty extreme body horror for a lot of it for, for a lot of this mm. audience mm. and it's a and i think the way that they react is you know similar to the last match that, that we talked about is it's not they don't they're not popping for moves necessarily although there are a couple of, uh, of mm. spots where they kind of they, mm. they really they really do respond especially sort of some of the the false finishes and i love a good joshi bridge out of a pin and one mm-hmm. of those really <laughs> big response as well but it's almost like they're reacting to the ebb and flow of the match because yes. it's far less about mm. that it's about transitions and it's about it's moving between phases and shifting momentum as it sort of goes backwards and forwards and there's a bit more of a flow it's not quite up and down in the way of oh we're going to do this move and then we're going to do that move it flo- you know it has that kind of chaos energy that i think means it's always at the risk of running off the rails but it's still it has that movement and the, yeah. the back and forth yeah formless flow was what i wrote down like it's sort of like the phrase, yeah. It, it, it's liquid kind of sloshing around in a glass, really, I think. Liquid wrestling. Liquid wrestling. There we go. Someone's going to steal <laughs> that as a promotion name. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Jaguar is, keeps trying to fight back with her left arm, but obviously, I mean, I'm guessing she's right-handed and that's not her dominant arm. Uh, 
And all Galactica has to do is hit the right one and she's back on top. Mm -hmm. One of the things she goes for is like a, I, get, I call it a proto-tequila sunrise where she's got like got, got a half crab on but has also mm -hmm. got like the bloody arm trapped under her leg behind her as well. And oh, so good. it is like mm. one of the things I really noticed about this, like Jaguar, Co Jaguar Yokota has a great face for wrestling. Yes. One of the things that came out of this match was I really like her. Like she's made a fan in me. Like even in this brawling environment, you can tell she's a good wrestler. She's a good seller. And she's got this mm. face that's it's good looking in a conventional way. However, she contorts it in just the right way to show you she means business and she's not to be messed with yeah mm. she's not a pretty girl that can be pushed around she's a professional fighter yeah yeah and she comes in and i think that's some that is the idea of someone being the ace of a promotion she comes in knowing her worth knowing that she's been the top dog in this company for in, in ajw for such mm. a long time now she is you know she's she's assured of her position and i think someone like you know someone like Chikisa Nagaya is there because she's the fan mm. favorite not necessarily mm. because not necessarily because she's going to out wrestle everybody that she meets you know although you know she's absolutely capable of doing mm. that but Jaguar's reputation rests on her skill in the way that I think Chikisa's doesn't yeah. need to um and, and that's kind of what keeps her in that that's kind of what keeps her in that position so in the same way that the reason why a lot of I think sort of the the John Cena supremacy didn't sit well with people is because everybody knew that he was going to win because he was the top guy in the yeah. promotion. Mm -hmm. But then they'd always have him wrestle from underneath and come back yeah. as a face. Mm -hmm. And actually, if you see John Cena just wrestle as the absolute man, like he does in that match where he finally loses to Daniel Bryan, then that's when he's at his best. Mm -hmm. So you want someone like Jaguar Yakuta who comes in like this. She can't be an underdog. She has to come in and wrestle as someone who's like, okay, I'm under pressure, but I know what I can do. And she has that self-possession that bring that she brings into the Is it match. too cheesy to call Chigasa the heart of AJW in 1985 and Jaguar the soul of AJW in 1985? I don't think it is necessarily. And I think we'll look at there's that's kind of still a separation that we see now so if you think about um if you think about stardom for example where they have kind of there are two titles that people are usually mm -hmm. competing for at sort of the top level mm -hmm. of the company and one of them is the red belt which is your which is your actually your top belt in the company but the other one is that the white belt which is um which is basically it's the person that everybody loves and who kind of represents the heart and soul of mm. stardom so it's the one that um tamnakana um, held for quite a long time for a while for example um and they built you know pretty much a, a couple of years of the company around tamnakana's quest to be the white mm -hmm. belt wrestler um but the red belt is kind of that's the one that you know Io Shirai held that it's the one that Siori's uh, that Siori has um it's that kind of it's that separation of the red belt is big wrestling, big prestige. The white belt is, it's still great matches, but it's about mm. heart and soul. And that goes back to this separation that you've got here. The red belt in mm. stardom comes from the fact that the top title in all Japan, in, in all Japan is the red, it is the red belt, which is in, in itself is actually Mildred Burke's mm. title from uh, from America, which came over all different I think, I think we can even sort of like crudely compare that to winged eagle WWF heavy world title to intercontinental title in that way perhaps i think maybe the i think there's a slightly different the gap in prestige between mm. the titles i think okay. is a bit different in the i think the the intercontinental title is still definitely seen as a well i think i'm thinking, I'm thinking more of like the I 90s think, heyday like where it was the white belt 
like quite yeah, literally okay. the white belt yeah, as well. Um, yeah, and it was it was big rest. Big wrestling was Hogan with the Wigged, e- Wigged Eagle or whoever, and good wrestling was Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels and whoever with the with the Intercontinental Title uh, as the the halftime main event. Yeah, yeah, I guess I, yeah, I, I guess I, I see that. I think it's it's probably not a one to one thing, not. but it's that same idea of like there are my, po- my are, poor little eight brain trying to understand. Of, <laughs> no, but they're, they're titles that uh, titles that fulfil different yes, yes. functions in, mm. in an insta- in, in, mm. in a company, and you know, Chigusa is pretty much always fighting with Lioness Asuka for the tag mm. titles, which are you know, tag team wrestling really matters in AJW because the majority of matches are actually yes. tag matches. So that fight, so you know, that is, you know, that and I mean they have secondary singles titles as well. You know, if anything, they've got mm. too many belts. But that's the but you know, it is similarly kind of it's not quite on a par, but it is, you know, it's up there, mm. I guess. So yeah, no, I think it's probably not unfair to say that sort of the Crush Gals and Jaguar Kurta have different functions mm-hmm. in the company. But you know, Jaguar is the one who is there because she is a better wrestler than anybody else with emphasis on the And wrestler. there's one bit that really strikes me out on this Jaguar Kota being a better wrestler, a great wrestler. Lots of people these days have seen the spot in, and it's a Japanese trope these days, where you've got two guys and they're punching each other and fighting on the mat and eventually they move to their feet. And it's often a very contrived spot. It doesn't Mm. work. Here, they do that and they do it perfectly because Yokota and Galactica, they're getting the right mix of striking. But then when Yokota gets the upper hand, she stalls because she's trying to shake the cobwebs out and that's a great bit of selling. And then very naturally Galactica sees an opportunity and just starts throwing these kicks from on the mat. And it's just an example of a trope that most people have seen Japanese wrestling in the 2020s have seen, Mm. but I think it's executed really well here. I completely, yeah, I completely agree. So uh, Jaguar survives a sent on uh, doing the lovely Joshi Bridge out of the pin, as Sarah mentioned, uh, uh, and crushes Galactica with this back suplex that looked like it came from the same school as Kenta's powerbomb in episode one of this podcast. It's a brilliant back suplex, sheer control throughout. I, I, Galactica didn't look that controlled when she hit the mat. Like it looked from, quite from painful. Y- Yoko, well, Yakota looked like she wasn't struggling at all. No, yeah, no, she certainly had. The, she wasn't. She certainly had the strength to hold her up there for sure. Um, Galacta hits a really nice German suplex that Jaguar kicks out of, and then Jaguar hits what I can only describe as a super jackhammer in 1985. <laughs> you know, Jaguar. Um, you know, Jaguar invented the jackhammer slam, right? I did not. No. Fact of the day. I, I, I was, I will say earlier before it almost looked like she was inventing the straight jacket German suplex because that's <laughs> the, what it looked like she was going for before that German. <laughs> well, one of the things I do know about Jaguar Kota is sort of like her legacy after this match. She went on and trained some of the biggest names in Japanese women's wrestling. The who came through the night. She trained all yeah, of them. Yeah, like. Yeah, she she had to. So there were a couple of reasons why she retired. And actually, this is 1985 is officially speaking was supposed to be the last year of her career because she actually um, in the end, it's in a match with Linus mm. Asker that she has later on this year um, where she she drops the title. And there are a couple of reasons why she retires. Number one, um, AJW has a mandatory retirement age of yes. 26. 
Yes, mm. 26, um, because basically they want to keep the, the churn of keeping lots of fresh faces coming through the company um, and they want to keep, you know, and they want to mix things up. Um, and then, um, I mean, nobody stays retired for that reason. Everybody retires at 26 and then ends up coming mm. back anyway. Um, but, you know, Yakota also was dealing with a number of niggling injuries and everything mm. as well. But they, they knew that she was so good, they needed to keep her around. So basically she went and ran the dojo. And as a result of this, she trained all of your favorite wrestlers, all of my favorite wrestlers. It clearly anyway. worked. Yeah. She's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, she trained Akira Hoxha and, you know, who's already on the scene at this point, actually, and is already getting very excited about getting into mm. pro wrestling. I think she debuted in 1986. Um, but, you know, the quality of the training and the quality of the wrestling that happens when Jaguar Curtis running mm. that dojo that's when you see people that's when you see women's wrestling in japan just mm. go to the moon basically. as an example on this list akira hokuto is the woman that is the woman that we will see the most in this podcast series. That doesn't mm. i think because she's not a because from in terms of cultural standing um the crush gals are the people that people associate with the 80s and with mm. joshi um Jaguar Yakota doesn't really get her, her due, but actually in terms of influence on wrestling mm. versus inf as in like the actual, the physical moves that people do and things like that. Um, Chikasa probably has more to do with storytelling, mm. um, but Jaguar is the one who basically invents all your favorite moves and trains all your favorite wrestlers. So to finish off this match, uh, Galactica kicks out of that super jackhammer, rolls off the apron and we're off towards the finish. Uh, Yakota drop kicks her into a loud flip bump onto the floor. Mm. Uh, and follows up by wiping out the whole heel squad and some poor cameraman with a top rope dive and just about drags herself back into the ring at the count of 19. And you've never heard a crowd so happy for a count-out victory. Oh, I'm shocked how, yeah. how big a pop this is for a count-out. It's like they don't care our person won. Yeah, but we're also kind of looking at this through more modern Western wrestling fan eyes where... WWF and WCW and WWE have just destroyed the count out finish by making it a, a way to win that means nothing. Uh, yeah. And while this, I'm sure this was highly political, it's uh, it's like in the 80s uh, in Japan, like it, it was kind of different. Like it, it, in the 80s in the UK, a count out was equivalent to a knockout you had knocked your opponent down outside the ring for the referee's count of 10 that was the same as knocking him down on the mat for the referee's count of 10 so it's it it's slightly different it has to be viewed with slightly different eyes i think um i didn't feel this match as much as the nagayo dump match we talked about a few weeks ago and i think i mean i think that's completely understandable because that's just a half hour whirlwind of emotion I, I, it's a heck of a fight though and i don't mind the count out because from jaguar's point of view it's i'm trapped in hell and being beaten half to death this is not honorable but this is my only chance to escape like she's got mm. she's got one arm she's got blood all over her and this maniac keeps you know hitting her with weapons and having her friends interfere 
it's about surviving exactly yeah but you know this match has a lot to do with going into this and saying i know what i have to do yeah and you know i'm gonna take i I have to survive long enough to find a way to eke out a win against this woman who wants to scratch my eyes out yes and if that and if that's a count out that it's a count out (laughs) yeah and 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 she knows this because you know i i haven't seen uh, actually um the previous match where where yakuta had lost the belt in it was hair and title versus mask match actually (laughs) uh yeah i would just uh just just check my notes and saw that in there so she'd lost the belt in that situation and she's been through this before and at Mm. this point it is pretty much i want this back and especially after you've if you've lost your hair at the same time as the title as well it's about your Mm. dignity yeah it's yeah. very much it's about dignity and it's about your identity as being someone who sits at the top of the tree you mm. know at that point you're just like i've had enough of this shit. what have i got to do to get, <laughs> to, to get my belt back and leave yeah yeah and we also have to think like we are coming in we're being parachuted into the middle of a long running story here so yeah. this yeah. is not a big feud ending match and also this is not the start of the rivalry this is just this is a match in the middle and so if i'm honest this to me might be the one of if not the least must see match we've covered so far on the show i don't think it's bad at all but i and i appreciate we're kind of watching it out of context but i think it is also possible just to see it as an 80s brawl that ends in a don't have to do a real job count out that was very commonplace in that era and not just in japan thoughts feelings and emotions from the from the group <laughs> yeah i mean i can i can see where you're coming from uh, i can i think if I was thinking about why this match is must see, um, I think I would define it as being must see in the sense of if I wanted to explain to people what Joshi is and where Joshi has been and kind of where jo- uh, and where Joshi is today, this match very much has a place in that story. And I feel mm-hmm. like it's as it's as much a must see in terms of sort of importance and kind of thinking about the way that the influence that you know these people and certainly yakota have on on people that come afterwards mm. and it's the you that's there in and of itself you see you know you've seen her do a jackhammer slam for more on the japanese women who invented all of your favorite moves it, it won't even take that long to find if you start looking for yeah. everything that they innovated um but it's a really good encapsulation of kind of what joshi was at this time you have an ace in your promotion you have a really hot crowd who care very much about preserving them you have the you know your your evil foreign heel who comes in and doesn't appreciate any of your politeness and it's that kind of storytelling that i think it kind mm. of it very it it tells you a lot in what's not actually that long a match i think it tells you a lot about what about what this what this period was really in terms of wrestling mm. um and it's one of those matches as well that i use and i think when you go back to these periods of watching women baying for and being very upset by the blood of mm. other women in in the mid 1980s this is one of the matches that i use when it's you know there's a lot of people and i have to say mostly men who think that there are certain types of wrestling where it's not polite to see women participating and you know the idea of like the idea of oh you know women not women shouldn't do death matches you know it's all of that kind of thing where which still very much exists you know people even got upset about the idea of women doing a hell in a cell match at one point that's it's mad to think that that was an objection but it really happened um and i think this is this proves i think number one that you know it's not that there's been some kind of decline in 
you know, the moral fibre of our society. And suddenly, all, what do you mean all these women want to do death marches now? It's the kind of thing mm-hmm. we saw when, um, so quite recently, um, a group of young female wrestlers broke away from mostly ice ribbon, actually, in Japan. Oh, and they're prominent. forming their own sort of, yeah, prominence. So they're basically setting up their own death match promotion because they all love death matches and they all really want to do more of them. So, and that, that upset a lot of people. Uh, there's a surprising number of Japanese women's wrestlers who got into wrestling watching Big Japan these days. And for some of them, it's because Big Japan was the only promotion that toured their small town. I think that's what it was for certainly a couple of uh, a couple of them said that, you know, Big Japan was the thing that they the only thing they ever really got to see. So there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of them who absolutely worship like the, you know, the guys who've made their careers in Big Japan now, actually, as well. But even though even I think a lot of the men in those big Japanese promotions would also admit that they borrowed an awful lot from, you know, Aja Kong stabbing people with, with scissors and screwdrivers. <laughs> you talk about um, uh, the people who think women shouldn't participate in certain types of matches. For a long time in London, women weren't allowed to participate in any type of matches. Like from 1930, yeah. I think, until at least like 79, maybe even a bit longer, women's wrestling was banned entirely in London. Yeah. which is wild to think about now. It's really true. And I think it's, you know, what, what this does is, and what matches like this do is I think it, it demonstrates that the wrestling is not about the male gaze, first mm. of all, as well, and the fact that, you know, women, and, and that actually women will do these kind of matches. And actually it's got nothing to do with any men's opinions on the topics. Yes. Shut up. This match is not for you. You are not the intended audience. It, that's it. It's the, this yeah. is not for you, which I think is really important as well. So when I talk about this match being must-see, I mean, I I love it as a match. I think it's probably, it's not my favourite Jackie Ricota match. Um, you know, there are, it's probably my favourite La Galactica match because nobody's really seen many of her matches apart from the, apart from this, this feud. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily, you know, the, the, the peak of, of Jaguar Kota or the peak of her title run. But I do think it's, it encapsulates really well mm-hmm. what she represents and what, you know, wrestling in the 80s for women, you know, that that's mm. really what this represents to me. It's must-see in terms of significance, I think, first sure. and foremost. Mark, anything else to add? Um, one of the things I'll say is it's a little bit meta, but... Um, the people that um, helped contribute to the list came from a lot of different backgrounds. You had a lot of people that were very clearly WWE fans. And then you had some people whose recommendations would span like 50 years. The the kind of people that would just go and get involved in like greatest match ever projects and that kind of thing and just mm-hmm. look at it. And this match was honestly one, I think every nomination was from greatest match ever type projects. It was people that were Mm. seeing these matches. So this is quite an interesting match because it's almost because of that niche subset of wrestling fans who very much get their enjoyment from seeking out something different. And the hardest of uh, the hardcore, the hardest of the hardcore. So Mm. this is one of the matches that is from those. Whereas there's a lot of WWE matches which will be from people who WWE was their their introduction to wrestling. So oh it's yeah, we uh, we got elements. some Roman Reigns coming up. <laughs> J- just one Roman Reigns. So what you're telling me is that out of your list of must see matches, there are as many Roman Reigns matches as 
Jaggy Wee Curtain matches. And as Chigusa, and, and of Chigusa Nagayo matches? Uh, no, to be fair, Chigusa Nagayo had six matches nominated, but she only had one in the top 104. Which uh, is what the will same, make up this show. The same number in the top okay. 104 as Roman, so still, yeah. I mean, it's a bit worrying, really, isn't it? No, no <laughs> yeah. disrespect to Roman. No, no, shit, no shit on Roman, who is doing a very good job in his role. But, I mean, he didn't invent the Jackham Sam. <laughs> Sarah, thank you once again for coming and educating us. The, much like last time, this has been an absolute blast. Uh, where can people find you if you want to be found on the internet? <laughs> if I want to be found, yes, I'm yeah. planning on running away and becoming a hermit immediately after you've all heard me talk for an hour about like Galactica. Um, so I suppose the place to find me and therefore links to all the things that I'm about to whine about um, would be on Twitter, where I am at Sarah Parking One on Twitter. Um, for some reason, I couldn't have my own name. I had to put a number at the end of it, but you know. <laughs> You know, such is social media. And um, from there, you will see me tweeting about many things, often about public transport in West Yorkshire in the negative, but also largely about women's wrestling. Um, I try to, I often try to avoid men's wrestling, but, you know, certain shows will make it necessary. Um, but amongst that, you will find links to our, the Big Egg Podcasting Universe, um, which is something that one, I'm, very proud of and which is gradually coming towards its fruition at this point so we are going um theme by theme and sort of match by match through everything on big egg podcasting uh big egg wrestling universe i'm so <laughs> used to putting the podcast in the word um so which is kind of it's the only time a women's wrestling show has has basically filled the Tokyo Dome. Um, and it took place in November 1994. It is a 24-match card. It has an opening ceremony with people in tracksuits raising standards of the different companies they represent. <laughs> it is pretty much the high watermark of, of women's wrestling in, in Japan, I, I would say. Um, so we go through that. So the, the first episode is a bit more of a kind of a, a history of Joshi and how we got to this point and where Big Egg, you know, where Big Egg fit in that kind of grand narrative and if there even is one and we go through kind of bit by bit and we are finally getting to the point now where we are talking about the v-top tournament which is the eight woman tournament at the end where you get your big names you get your dynamite kansai's you get your arja kongs um and if the uh, i would have a quiet word and suggest that manami toyota versus arja kong which is one of the first round matches in that tournament that really should be on the must see matches list. Someone have a word if it's not. It is um, on the list. We unfortunately on the list. We, we are not we won't get to cover it for at least another four months, I think. Uh well by that point, hopefully you'll have something to refer back to because we'll have published an episode of Big Egg Podcast for <laughs> you that's all about it. Not that I'm competing or anything, guys. Um so that's one thing that I would really recommend. So that is, um, I'm sort of working on that with the guys from the Puro Puri podcast, um, whose um, SoundCloud you can find, and we'll we'll push it out on on Twitter as well, and I'll send you those links. Um, the other thing that I will mention is that, especially with a focus on kind of the the, the women's wrestling fandom in Japan in the 80s, um, that's the basis of an essay I wrote for a book called Women Love Wrestling, which is a collection of essays. Um, by and about women who love and are involved in the wrestling industry. Um, so you can, that, that's published on Amazon. It has been approved by Mick Foley. It is, you know, I, I can give it no higher praise because, you know, <laughs> Foley is God, so we're told. Um, and this is 
Proceeds are going to Women's Aid in the UK and Rain in the US, which are such worthy charities that, frankly, if you decided to skip buying the book and just give them some money instead, I would also understand. But also buy the book. It's not just me, I promise. <laughs> Those are my plugs. Excellent. As for us, the two most important things are to follow this show at Must See Matches on Twitter and go to linktr.ee slash matches for ways to subscribe to this podcast, my Twitter, Mark's Twitter, the full list of matches, and so much more. Next week, it was so much fun to record with him last week, we're bringing him back. Palm Singh Man returns to talk about Adrian Neville versus Sami Zayn from NXT TakeOver Our Evolution, December the 14th, 2014. So make sure you come back for that one. Huge thanks, of course, to Mark and Sarah, and we'll see you in seven days. Goodbye. Goodbye.